God told the people of Judah to go up into the mountains, bring down the timber, and build his house. But the people of Judah didn't make God's temple a priority and left it in ruins. Join us next week as we stop talking and start doing, because the time is now. And there's no time like the present. So when you heard next week, what that really meant is right now. So the time is now. That's what we're going to do right now. But that's just the video was only supposed to be played last week, but we couldn't play it last week because we were at Strawberry Festival. And we had a great time at Strawberry Festival. For those of you who didn't make it around, on the Saturday... Um, the, the streets are just packed. They say about 30,000 people come into Stouffville or come out onto the streets and, and go, come around. And we had some games uh, set up on our front lawn for the first time. We were able to be at Strawberry Festival and not have to rent a booth. Um, so we had lots more space. And we had the gift of shade because we have a beautiful tree out front. And instead of people saying, I'll give you two minutes or so, they would stay and they would hang out and we would chat with them and, and we, we played games with their children were having a good time. And there was a time when we had to start putting away some of the games because there was just too many people here. The front of our area had about 50 people at one time sort of milling about and we're going, this is too many. We can't handle this all at once. Fantastic. And then at the, the Strawberry Festival service in the big tent on Sunday, when a bunch of the churches from Stouffville gathered together and we go there and we uh, kind of celebrate together. I've, I've really enjoyed that service in the time that I've been in Stouffville to have the churches come together, to sing together, to, to, just to be together, um, to remind ourselves that we're one team, right? We're, we're all on the same team. We're not in competition with, with each other. We're in partnership with each other, reaching out in the different ways that we do it. And we were fortunate enough this year to have, our, uh, have some of our, our band people play and lead, and it was they did a fantastic job. They really did. And uh, there were so many positive comments of people coming back to us. So it was good. We had a great time in that place. Um, so we're going to start a new series right now. It's called The Time Is Now. And it really fits in nicely with where we are in life. Because for us as well, the time is now. Our fiscal year ends at the end of June. New fiscal year starts in July. And the new fiscal year for us is going to be an incredibly expensive one. We're going to spend like crazy. We're going to spend wild. No, we're going to be responsible. But there's a lot of things that we're going to dive in on. Again, just to give you the update, there's a masonry project that we're going to do. You know, we know that some of the brickwork really needs to get fixed. And we, we, we know that the first thing that we saw was the eaves troughs. Eaves troughs are in desperate need of being repaired. And to do that, you need to fix the roof. But before you can fix the roof, you've got to fix the brick. So that's what we're going to do. We're also going to do some work with windows to try and keep the outside out and the inside in. So this is all coming up, and you're going to start to see things happening in the next couple of weeks because the new season has begun. So there's exciting things that are going on there. Um, for those of you who have a handout, you can pull it out right now. There's some notes that are in there if you want to follow along with what, uh, what I'm going to be talking about today. We're going to put notes up on the screen as well so you can follow there. But if you have your web-enabled smartphone... You can also use the free app called Uversion. In the bottom right corner, there's a button called More. You tap on More and look for um, Around Me or something like, or Events. Click on Events and Around Me, and the church will come up, and you can follow along all of our notes on your phone. And it's a good habit to get in, involved in having this idea that we can carry the Bible with us wherever we go, that you've got the scriptures there, 
And so this series that we're doing now, we're using a, a curriculum, a, um, a, a, some produced materials from a church called Life Church. And so they've also made a reading plan that goes along with The Time Is Now. So The Time Is Now is a study of the book of Haggai. You can read the book of Haggai and it'll break it down for you. If you have the Uversion app, the link for the reading plan is in the event. So you can just sign up right like that and you can start engaging in reading. If you don't want to read about Haggai, then pick something else. There are literally thousands, thousands of different reading plans. Pick it by a topic, pick it by a book, pick it by something, but engage yourself in reading. The Bible is yours. And for so many years, it was held back from the people, either through illiteracy or through language. But that's not so with you. You have access to it in many translations and in many languages. So please engage in reading. God took the time to say, I want you to know me. This is a revelation of me. This is what I'm like. I want you to know me. Not to know about me. I want you to know me. And so we engage together in earnest pursuit of Jesus by doing what we can to gain some more uh, information. If you have your, um, your handout, there's a side that you can rip off. And if you want to do that, you can um, let us know that you are visiting with us today, if that's what you're doing. Put your name on there. And we have a box at the back that's uh, our communication box. And you can just drop it in there. The other side of the information is, I want to sign up for the email. I want to be on the, the uh, emergency or the urgent prayer text list, or maybe you have questions about um, you want someone to pray with you, you want to be involved in baptism, or whatever it is, there's a spot on the back to write those things down and put them in our communication box. That's the same place that you can put your offering if you would like to give an offering today. There are envelopes at the back to make sure that you're tax receipted, and you have been being incredibly generous this year. I want you to know that, that it has been, (laughs) I had to go back and keep checking because I don't believe it's true. That's, that's the problem because I, I can't believe what's happening. And as we go forward and we look forward to some of these other projects, we are very well situated for going forward. And that is because of you. That is because of God working through you and we are sharing together in what God is doing. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Also, if you have the online version, you would like to do it that way, you can give online through Canada Helps. You can link to that either directly from the version. Um, event, or you can do it from our webpage, into1.ca, and they will take care of your tax receding that way. So I wanted to, to go back. We, we went back through Strawberry Festival, but before that, two weeks ago, June 26th, we had a special day too. We had a service here, and then we left from here, and we went to the Linquist's house for baptism, um, barbecue, pool party, and I never want to get in the habit of simply taking for granted that we had two people who were baptized at that time. And this is such an encouragement to see and to be reminded that God is at work in our midst, not in the, not in the past, the right now, that people's lives are being changed, that they come to a place where they can say, God, I appreciate what you've done. You are my savior. I am declaring that my sins are washed away. I have been forgiven. I have been given hope. I've been given eternal life. We want to celebrate that and we never want to ever forget that lives are being transformed in big ways and small ways around us. And that is part of what you are in. God is at work here. That's one of those good things, right? That's not just a a rhetorical point. I want you to understand that, that God is at work here. 
And if he's at work and someone who's sitting next to you, then he might very well be able to be at work in your life. And you might be at a stage where you really need God to be at work in your life. This is happening in our midst. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Which is why I said, why not go to the Old Testament and study Haggai, right? Because Haggai is one of those books that we all are thinking to ourselves, I love that book, right? Well, Haggai is a minor prophet, and a minor prophet is the way that we describe different sections of the Bible. Poor Haggai, never made it to the majors, only was ever a minor prophet, never really got his thing together. It's not like that at all. It's about the size of the book. So we have some major prophets, and they have a larger books. So Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel are major prophets, bigger chunks. The minor prophets just have minor size books. Their value, what they contribute to us, is not rated in the major minor. That's just about the size of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, again, maybe you already had it out and Haggai is there, use it, okay? We're going we're gonna to go back into that. And uh, if you want to look it up, this is my little joke that I didn't tell you earlier. You're all thinking to yourselves, I don't want anyone to know that I have no idea where the book of Haggai is. So I want to help you out with that so you can find it nice and quickly. It's right between Zephaniah and Zechariah. Does that help? (laughs) It's just about at the end of the Old Testament. So if you can find Matthew, there's a a space breaker that says New Testament. We'll just go back left a little bit. And they're minor prophets, so it's pretty easy to flip through them pretty quickly. Haggai is there, and yeah, Zephaniah and Zechariah are right around him. Um, so the, the, the time set, the, the mindset that we're in here. Often, maybe you've been in this place, I know I have been. Often in life, we wake up and there's, we, we recognize that we're in a certain stage of life. Whatever that certain stage is. And we have those moments when we are uh, unsettled and we feel... Uh, maybe even disappointed. There's a sinking feeling as it comes to us. And we say to ourselves, look at where I am. I just expected more. I thought that by the time I reach this, whatever this is, that there'd be something different or, or something better. And it can be really at any stage. It doesn't have to be one particular one, the magic year, the magic number. You don't have to Wait until you're older to start to feel this. It could be that you're, you're in college and, and you think, by this time in college, I thought I would know what I wanted to do with my life. But I don't have a clue. And it might be that you're out of college and you've got a degree or maybe two and you thought that since you had a degree, by now I should have a real job. By now I should have benefits. By now, I should be doing something that is important and meaningful, but I'm doing something that seems to just be way beneath my capacity. I thought there'd be more. And it might be that you're such and such age, and and I just thought that by now, I'd be married. And I'm not married. Or, as is the case in our culture more and more, I thought I'd still be married. Maybe you are married and you thought, I I, I thought that it was going to come together and I thought I'd have a good marriage. But but you don't. And you don't like your marriage. You don't like the way things are going. It's not going the way that you thought that it should. 
And so maybe you thought at that point, then maybe I'll have some kids, and kids will help to fill the void. Oh, they fill the void, all right. But now you're just busy, and you're broke because you had those kids, and you're thinking, I thought there was something more. So some people say, you know what? I've tried everything else. Maybe I'll go so far. Maybe I'll even try religion. And so we try to do religious things. We go to church and we try to do things that sound religious and talk maybe religiously. And, and it doesn't seem that your life really changed. And you wake up and you think, I really thought that by this point, there'd be something more. Why can't there be something better or something different than what it is right now? If you've ever felt like that, if you've ever had one of those kind of moments or having them right now, then you get a little bit of a sense of the time period that we're going to look at when Haggai was written. The people were saying, I really, really thought we would be in much different shape than we are now. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk. I might insult you. And if I do, I want to apologize for that up front. But I'm going to assume that maybe there's someone here who's not super familiar with the backstory of Haggai. If it's not you, please, I don't mean to offend you. Of course, most of you know all about this, but on the offhand chance that there's someone here who doesn't know, let me help you out. We're going to jump back into the reign of King Solomon. So the kingdom of Israel started with King the first king of Israel was King Saul. The next king of Israel was King and David had a son, and his name was King Perfect. Perfect. We're doing very well there. King Solomon. And during the fourth year of King Solomon's reign, King Solomon started construction on the most magnificent temple for God. His father, David, wanted to start it, but God said, no, not you. You've been involved in too much war. You've been involved in too much violence. We're going to leave that for someone who doesn't have so much blood on his hands. That was not a criticism of David. It was just a way to mark the way our God is. And so much of the time, he is given credit for being a bloody-handed God. And he wanted to make sure that we understood clearly when it comes to understanding him, that's not who he is. That's the way that we are. And he gets an awful lot of that negative credit because of what was done in his name. But this temple, the temple that Solomon was going to make four years after he started because they spent basically that whole time planning it. They worked on it. They engineered it. It was incredible. The most magnificent thing that could be imagined. In the ancient world, it was one of the wonders that came about. People from all over the world traveled just to see this temple and to feel like they had to offer worship to the God that this temple was made for because it was so incredible. Just completely amazing. And then, as things work, King Solomon dies, and even before he died, they started to turn their hearts away from God. They started to not remember God. They started to think that it was something that they could perfunctorily do on the side, on the surface, but the connection the relationship, the knowing God part wasn't important. And they got distracted like I do, like maybe you do. 
You get distracted from what you meant to do and you get caught up in doing what you are doing. And they got caught up with the religions that were in their area. And so they started worshiping idols. They started focusing on other gods because of the perks that were involved with other things. They were getting more of what they wanted. And so that's what they were focusing on themselves and not on God. And so God allowed a series of events to take place in order to pull the people's hearts back to himself, to bring them back to the place where they would be getting the most out of life, to be the most engaged. Because God, when Jesus came, he said, I came to bring you life and life abundant, not I came to make you do what I want. It's really important to get that distinction. So as God is calling the people back to himself, he's not saying, I just want you to hang out with me and do my stuff. He's saying, I want you to be connected with me so that I can show you what's best. I can show you the way that you will engage the most with life and get the most out of it. So just to make it a little easier, I threw a couple of notes down in the, uh, in the handout for you so you can have some um, key markers for you. The first one is 587 B.C. So you just do your mental calculator there, 587 B.C. You remember all the other things that were happening around there. There was this famous guy, King Nebuchadnezzar. It's really important to get the idea here again. King Nebuchadnezzar is a real king. He's not just a Bible king. Bible kings are real, but sometimes we think of them, they're just Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar was real. He's the king of Babylon. He's one of the greatest kings that has ever lived. Had a magnificent, immense empire. Was incredibly talented. Brilliant, brilliant man and a powerful, powerful leader. Well, he was powerful, all right. And so he came and his army crushed the southern kingdom of Judah. And they destroyed the temple. So by this time, um, the kingdom of Israel... Israel had separated northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Um, the northern kingdom was a little bit more, a little bit more wicked, you know, like your brother, a little bit more wicked than you, and so they had already had to deal with Assyria. The southern kingdom called Judah waited a little bit longer, and Babylon came. And they came and they destroyed the temple. And in destroying the temple for the people there, it's just completely humiliating. The whole city is destroyed, and many, most of the people were actually scooped up, carried off, and taken to Babylon. Then to add insult to injury, they destroyed the place where God dwelt. That's what the people really believed. They believed that he actually lived in there. And, and what Babylon was trying to do was to strip away their spiritual identity, take them out of Israel to strip away their, 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 their sense of their ownness, the Israelness. And they said, you are going to become Babylonian. And to do that, we're going to wipe away all of your past. Complete devastation. They lost everything. They lost the religion. They lost their national identity. And their national identity had so much to do with who they felt that they were God's chosen people. And that was being pulled away from them. And so they were taken away and they were put into captivity for decades. 50 years. Technically 70 because they were already in captivity for a while before the destruction of the temple. But for 50 years after the temple destruction, excuse me, they were held in captivity. And when we read that, you kind of just register it as a fact. Captivity. Great. Check. It doesn't quite register to us because we've never lived in anything like that. We've never had anything like that or anything close to that happen to us. Sometimes we get upset because the wrong person gets elected to do something and we go, outrage, as we walk about in freedom. Right? We, our perspective gets tainted on these things. They were in captivity. So try to imagine, put it into a more modern context. Let's just say there's a power in the world, whatever country, you pick the one that you want. Imagine that they develop a massive 
nuclear arsenal. And they say to our country, hey, Canada, we're going to target your five major cities. And then all your allies, we're going to target 10 of those cities. We will completely obliterate and destroy them unless you surrender to us. And so our prime minister meets with the leaders in council, council of these different countries, and they say, well, we can't retaliate. This will start a massive global thermonuclear war. There's no good that can possibly come out of this. We should just surrender. And so all of the government leaders step down, and suddenly we are no longer citizens of our nation. We just stop being Canadian, and now we're captives to somebody else. We are taken and put in another country. We can't worship as we want. We can't go where we want. We can't live where we want. We can't buy what we want. And we're going to be completely in bondage for 50 years. Now, I am absolutely nowhere near 50 years of age. And anyone who tells you anything different than that is just plain wrong. But I have three kids. All of my children would have been born during this captivity. And that's all they would have ever known. Captivity and a foreign land. And everything that I knew, everything that I could tell them about, this was what Canada was like, and this is what we used to do, it would be completely foreign to them. Never have heard of Wayne Gretzky. They would be able to go through life never having known, never having grown up with this stuff. And so you can imagine the relief. You can imagine the good news as it came when in 538 BC, about 50,000 people were allowed to leave Babylon to travel back to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, to rebuild. Finally, after five decades, we get to go back to our home. We get to rebuild our house for God, and that had been a central part of their identity. We get to have our own place again. We get to have our own laws. Imagine the relief and the excitement that come with something like that. And the Jewish people went back, and they started to rebuild the temple of God. They started right away. They built the foundation. Then next, they built the altar, the central place. And then, then the Samaritans came. And they opposed the work. You remember geographically, Samaria? We have the, the southern kingdom, Judah. We have the northern kingdom, Israel. And in between Israel and Judah, we have Samaria. Just some area. It's very funny. It's a very good joke. The Samaritans didn't like the idea. They go, hey, for, the 50, for 50 years, you guys weren't here. And frankly, we kind of like the fact that you weren't here. We're not really interested in you getting established again, right? We're not really interested in you becoming a dominant power in this region. And so they opposed them. And the Israelites said, oh no, things got hard. Things just got difficult. It must not be the right time because this is not easy for us to do. The right time always means that it'll be easy, right? So there's your backstory. And so for 14 years, they didn't work on the temple. They started it and they stopped. 14 years, it sat as a foundation and an altar. For five decades, 
all they could think about would be to reestablish their national identity. And their national identity was tied into the temple intrinsically. That's the way it worked. All they could think about for 50 years. And then they get back, they start, and things got difficult. And so for 14 years, they did nothing. Instead of of working on God's house for 14 years, guess what they did? They started working on their own houses. But for 14 years, you can do more than work on your house, right? Now you can start to upgrade your house. And they built very, very nice houses for themselves. And they forgot about God, and they forgot about God's house. Did God need a super special house? No. He never wanted it at the beginning, right? We have to go back and put the whole thing in context. But it was a way to help them focus. It was a visible display of an inward reality. The inward reality is that they were forgetting about God again and already. The reason that they got taken into Babylon was because they had forgotten about God and they didn't focus on Him. 50 years they're taken away. In 50 years, this is the punishment for not doing this. And so as soon as they get back, they start to already and again forget. So the relationship was going askew. It was off the rails again. This is what has gotten them into so much trouble before, and it's what gets us into so much trouble again and again. Babylon carried, captured them and carried them off. And so God raised up a prophet named Haggai to call the people back to rebuild the temple of God. Not because he wanted the temple, but because he wanted the people. He wanted the focus. He wanted the attention. He wanted to be able to bless them and take care of them and do what was best, but they weren't listening. All right, so there's your backstory. That's what did happen. Does that make sense? I've got it? All right, well, good. Verse 2, Haggai chapter 1. You might see a little humor in this. I see a little bit of humor in this. I hope you do too. Here we go. This is what the Lord Almighty says. (coughs) These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. These people say the time has not yet come. The reason I find this kind of humorous is that because almost everywhere in the Old Testament, when God talks about the people, he calls them my people. My people. These are my people. Chosen, cared for, beloved. They're mine. And in this case, God sounds like he's doing... Okay, Cheryl's not here. This is what, what happens in my house sometimes when Cheryl comes up to me and she says, look what your kids did. Right? I know most of you don't have that kind of a problem in your life. There's that distancing though, right? Maybe that happens at your house. Maybe you know somebody who has that happen to them. But God says to them, these people, these people did this. These people, they're not my people. These people are, 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 saying, are, are saying that time is not now to build my temple. And that's not what my people would say. Because right now, these people are following someone else. They're not following me. They're not listening to me. Now, why didn't they think the time was now? They thought the time wasn't now because they received opposition. The Samaritans were opposing them. The Samaritans, again, not interested in them really becoming a powerful place again. We liked it without you. So often when we receive opposition, we think it must not be God's will. It just got hard. It got difficult. 
Where's the money for that? It doesn't feel like it used to feel. More effort now. We need to understand that the closer we get to doing something that matters deeply to the heart of God, the more likely we are to face opposition. Receiving opposition isn't a sign that God is against you. Frequently, it's a sign that you're doing what God wants you to do. Don't worry when people are opposing you. Worry when no one is. The moment you start to move forward and do something and be obedient to God, to submit your heart, to submit your will to Him, to do what He has called you to do, mark it down, put an X on your calendar, circle it. There's very likely spiritual opposition on the way. There are two our candidates who, who came forward and wanted to be baptized. I told them both, understand that this is going to be a mark. You will experience challenge now. Things are about to get more difficult. When you find yourself being obedient to God and it gets difficult and it gets challenging and it often does, I want to encourage you with this one simple thought. With God's help, choose the hard right over the easy wrong and connect with somebody else so you don't stand alone. Over and over and over again, just tell yourself, God, with your help, enable me, empower me to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Help me to overcome. Help me to bear up under. Help me to come through. It would be so easy to quit focusing on God and to start focusing on myself. So easy to turn my back on that because it feels hard. It was hard and right to continue to build the temple. Choose the hard and right over the easy wrong. It would be so easy when someone hurts your feelings to hold a grudge, to be bitter, to be angry at them. But it's hard and it's right to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. It's easy to continue to spend more than you have and just buy whatever you want because there's something new to buy. Go into debt. It's hard and it's right to begin to climb out of debt, to live beneath your means, and to live in such a way that you can instead be massively generous with other people. It's so easy to give up. It's so easy to not make a difference. But we, we as followers of Jesus, with the help of God, we'll choose the hard right over the easy wrong because we don't give up. This is what the prophet is going to tell. He's going to help empower the people to do, to bring them back to their core, to bring them back to what it is that they really want. And he essentially tells them, guys, the time is now. I want you to think about this just for a moment. Ask yourself, is there something, some place that you can remember? Is there something unfinished in your life? Have you been given an assignment that you have put on hold? Is there? Is there something there? Is there an unfinished assignment? You think back, it could be yesterday, but it, it could be a month ago. It could be 14 years ago. Is there something that you believe that God put on your heart and periodically it pokes back up and it pokes at you and you say, not now. I'm supposed to reach out to this person. I'm supposed to share my faith, but I feel really weird doing it. It would be hard. It'll be difficult. And so we choose the easy way out. I'm supposed to work at honoring God with my, with my mind and with my body. 
But it was hard. It was difficult. So you didn't do it. I felt like I, maybe I was supposed to serve a church. Maybe I was supposed to start a ministry. Maybe I was supposed to ask her out. But I chickened out. I was supposed to give something away to somebody. There was something that I felt like I was supposed to do. Maybe I was supposed to start journaling. Maybe I needed to write something down. Maybe I should be writing a book. Maybe I'm supposed to be painting. I don't know what it is, but there are these different areas that God prompts us and pokes us. And there's something on your heart that you, you really felt like it was a burden, most likely from God, but you didn't do it. Think about that for a moment. Ask him, God, is this the case? Is there something that you're trying to speak to me about again here? And God might very well be speaking to you in the same way that he used Haggai to speak to the people then. The time is now. Verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourself to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought. Take a moment and consider what you're doing. So one of those things that you might be considering right now is, what in the world is a paneled house? Are you wondering that? Say yes. What in the world is a paneled house? Say, what in the world? Yeah, well, I'm so glad you asked that because it's a really good question. Basically, it's a way of summarizing it in kind of ancient language, high-end living. So the paneled houses would be like if, if we were all to um, tack up the, the teak on our walls, you know, to cover those things, like, like all of your libraries look at home. Um, it's granite countertops. It's crown molding. It's the big screen TV. It's the nice new car. You've got lots of amazing vacations to go on. God is not against us having nice things. He's against us putting nice things ahead of him. He's not against us having nice things. He doesn't want nice things to have us. At this point, the people are putting their own comfort ahead of God's house, ahead of God's priority, ahead of the focus on him. And so he says, give careful thought, give careful thought to your ways. And so I would just raise the question to you in the same way. Look at your unfinished business. Look at your uncompleted calling your assignment, and then ask yourself, are you putting your own comfort ahead of his calling? When you make a decision about where to go and what to spend and, and how to do those things, what is the first line in the question? Are you trying to make a name more for yourself than you are trying to make a difference? Are you putting your house before his house? Are you consumed with yourself instead of being consumed with God? and showing his love to other people. That focus on getting my countertops right puts the focus on me, repeatedly on me, and I don't have time for you because I've got to deal with my countertop. Okay, it has nothing to do with your countertop. It's just the way of thinking, right? I don't have time for you. I have to do this. I can't help you. I've got this. Is there something that you have been putting in front of God? And he says very gently, I think, to say, give careful thought to your ways. God wants us to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And things have changed so little in the 500 years before Christ. That's when this happened, okay? About 500 years before Christ. This is what God says, and I guarantee you that there are many here 
who still can say these say same things. I feel exactly the same way. In verse 6, he says, You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Does that not sound like us today? Does that not sound like the North American kind of problems that we have? No matter what we have, it's never enough. Modern translation. You're working your tail off. You still don't have anything. That's the way you feel. You're pouring your life into some career and it just feels empty and hollow and it takes so much of your time. Everything else that was you is gone. You have more than you've ever had before in your life and you still don't feel satisfied because you know someone who has more. You entertain yourself. You go to games. You go to movies. You go to shows. You go to concerts. You eat out, yet there's this persistent, consistent longing for something more. Maybe Dr. Phil would look at you and he'd say, now how's that working for you? Right? That's a great question. We see the way we behave. Take a moment at some point to say, how is it working for you? Maybe you should change what you're doing. Verse 7 and 8, they're looking. Okay, we got to build this temple. We don't feel good enough to do it. It's not going well. There's opposition. This is difficult. It's so hard. And God again says, give careful thought to your ways. And then he breaks it down kind of in three simple steps for them because they're not, you know, maybe, maybe they're as building illiterate as I am. He says, go build the temple. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, go into the mountains. Number two, bring down the timber. Number three, build my house. So go up into the mountain. And right away, there's somebody like me who's going to say, now hold on, wait, wait, wait just a minute. Going up into the mountain? Well, that's not here. That's there. That's hard. Have you seen that mountain? There's an awful lot of up in that mountain. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Bring down the timber. The timber. Oh, that's hard again. It's hard enough getting up there. Now I've got to come down with a heavy load. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Come down. Build the temple step by step. And here's the problem that many of us get into. God, thank you for giving me Go up the mountain, bring the timber, build the temple. One, two, three. But before I get started with one, what I'd really like to know is four, five, six. What after that? What's next? I need details. Who's going to pay for that? How is this going to happen? Where will this occur? When will that go on? What's going to go on? Who's going to be there? How is it going to work out? What about the Samaritans? Am I going to get a tax write-off for this? I need to know details, God. How much time is this going to take? What level of commitment am I really making? How long do I have to do this for? How is it going to work out? Will I ever get to go back to just being happy again? I need step four, five, six. And God says, don't worry about four, five, and six. Just do one, two, and three. Psalm 119 gives us um, a beautiful picture, very well-known verse, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. His word is a lamp. Shows us where to go. It might very well show us step one, two, and three. But we will not see four, five, and six until we take step one, two, and three. 
You've got to go and do what God has showed you first before He reveals more to you. Sometimes you say, I want the details. And God, He might be like Jack Nicholson sitting on that, the stand when He says, you can't handle the details! He doesn't say it in a bad way, but I'll give you more when you need more. Don't be distracted by what's later. You won't understand later until you take care of now. Just take the first step. Go up to the mountain, get the timber, build my house. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit. This is what we're commanded to do as followers of Jesus. We want to be side by side with God. What do I do? The way to get started is to quit talking and to start doing. That's just it. Quit talking about it. Quit in and out. Go up to the mountain today. Do something today. Mark it today. Write it down today. Do the next thing that God has showed you and do it today. Make the phone call. Write the letter. Send the email. Go visit. Be involved. Be engaged. Don't say later. Be faithful to what God has called you to do and be faithful today. And then be faithful to God tomorrow. I had no idea what the blessings of God were on the other side of obedience until I took a step of obedience. You do what God calls you to do. So you're supposed to reach out to someone that hurt you? What if they don't respond well? You are not responsible for outcome. You are responsible just for obedience. God's in charge of outcome, not you. That's it. You just do what God has called you to do. You let Him partner with you. He takes care of the other details. Obedience is your calling. If we don't, what is it? What do we call that? We all have something like this. Maybe you've got that, that sin that's been plaguing and plaguing and plaguing you, and you keep it a secret. It's easy to keep secret. It's hard, and it's right to confess and to ask for help. Maybe you're playing fake happy marriage, and you've got everyone around you fooled, but you're not there. It's easy to do that. It's easy to lie. It's hard, and it's right. To say, you know what? We really need help. We need some counseling. We need someone to stand beside us because we're not doing it by ourselves. God prompted you at some point to serve in the church. I should make a difference. And you're sitting back, you're going, well, is that God or is that Satan? Is Satan trying to tempt me to do something? He's trying to tempt me to serve. Get behind me, Satan. Don't use that to make a difference. And of course it's God. Of course God is there prompting you in that sort of a way. So, so what do you do? You choose the hard right. Don't leave the building today without saying, sign me up. I'm in. I can help. I can do something. Figure out what that something is. If you don't know, ask and we can give you some suggestions. It's not about the work. It's about the obedience. How will you be obedient to God in this way? Don't make God look at you and say, that person. Because we just spent weeks studying why in the world did Jesus come? And He came so that you would know clearly that you were loved, that you were chosen, that you're His child. Don't make Him say, that person, when He wants to say, my child, 
my heir. My child is going to be obedient because the time is now. Whatever God gives you, whatever the assignment is for you, commit in advance to say, I don't know what it is for sure, but I'm going to be obedient anyways. God's in charge of the outcome. I'm in charge of obedience. Choose the hard right instead of the easy wrong. Let God speak to you today and then take action based on what He says. Kind Father, thank You for Your your choice. Thank You for Your love for us. Thank You for calling us back to You to give us the freedom that we so long for. And even though this story happened hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, it's as true today as it was then. Thank You for the for your presence, God. Thank you for the way that you want to minister to us, to to transform our hearts, to, to bring us into complete freedom. What do you want from us? You simply want us to love you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our souls, all of our strength. You want us to love you and to love our neighbor. You want us to love the people around us the ones that you have put around us, whether we like them or not. Help us to move in that direction, we pray. God, show us what it would look like for us individually, for me and for my friends here today. Help us to be obedient to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God, look you full in the face and make you prosper and give you peace. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. I missed doing this last week. I liked what we did with the Strawberry Festival, but I missed this. It's better when you were together. So thanks for being here. Thanks for making this part of what it is because it doesn't exist without you. God working in you is transforming us, but it's helping to reach out into our neighborhood and our community as well. So please don't give up. Keep going. Keep coming on.